www.chatradio.com. The best in chat radio, designed just for you. And welcome to another edition of the Prologue on America's Web Radio. This is a weekly program bringing you introductions to writers and books you may not be familiar with. My name is Doug Dahlgren. I'm going to be your host for this hour. I'm an author myself. I've got eight fiction novels that are available, action thrillers, some you might just enjoy. They're available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and all the online sites. You can also visit my website, which is dougdahlgren.com, and find out more about myself and the books there. Now, we call this program The Prologue because that's exactly what it is. It's an introduction. And while those introductions are mainly about writers, we love to bring you interesting people with a good story to tell from other fields and other endeavors as well. Now, if you don't have a pen or a pencil handy, I want you to take a second and get one, okay? And also something to write on. Throughout this program, we're going to be offering information that you might want to make a note about, Like this, for instance. If you or someone you know has a book or that interesting story like we mentioned earlier that just needs to be told, please reach out to me through email. There's two ways you can do that. There's Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDahlgren.com. I'd love to speak with you about being on a future program, so get yourself or your friend, uh, get on the Internet, and send me a note. Our guest here in the studio with us this hour brings us a novel with tremendous impact. The subject matter is somewhat harsh. The story is told with a sense of realism one only gets from personal experience. Our author is Erica Jansen, and we'll be speaking with her in just a minute. But I hope you'll allow me to take a second here to recognize some very important listeners that we're quite proud to have here on the Prologue and on America's Web Radio. Our men and women in the armed forces of the United States, stationed around the globe, our Internet broadcasting and podcasts make it possible for them to listen wherever they might be and as they execute those duties that keep us safe back here at home. Freedom isn't free. It's bought for, bought and paid for, excuse me, daily by the men and women who wear the uniform. And we thank them very much for what they do. The second group that I want to recognize are here at home, serving as first responders, those police, fire, and rescue personnel who rush to our aid when we need them. Thank each of them for what they do, and we hope they'll continue to listen. Now, Erica Jensen brings us her novel. The title is No Ordinary Fire. We'll talk to her about it after this introduction, which, as you hopefully know, we call Your Prologue. The police are called to the home. It's not the first time, but it's extreme this time. Our protagonist, Marianne, is forced to leave her home for her own safety. Sadly, this opening may sound all too familiar to way too many of our listeners. Marianne seeks help from an old friend and sets out to seek answers to her life and how she got where she is. No ordinary fire is gritty. There's no punches pulled and no excuses offered. It's available through the author's website, which is www.ericajansen, and that's spelled E-R-I-C-A-J-A-N-T-Z-E-N.com. See, that pencil came in handy, didn't it? Okay. As well as through Amazon.com. Now, the author is here with us this morning, 
Erica Jansen, welcome to the prologue. Doug, thank you so much. I'm just thrilled to be here. Absolutely. Well, we're happy to have you. We're just delighted to have you here this morning. Now, you offer a very profound quote right before the first page of this book. And let me let me remind you. The quote is, the wound is the place where the light enters you. Now, it's attributed to an ancient Persian poet named Rumi. What does that statement mean to you? Rumi was extremely profound in his age, the 12th century, and he knew pieces about the human condition that have followed us through the centuries and are with us today. When someone is hurt and they suffer a wound, and as it heals, there's a scar, and there's a knowing there that some form of awareness from the pain and the experience has entered their 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 soul, their consciousness. So the wound is really the place where the light of consciousness enters their mind and their soul and their life experience. The subject matter of your book is abuse and how your heroine, this is a fictional novel, how your heroine gets out from under its seemingly endless cycle, and you talk about that. Why do you believe that cycle of violence exists? Oh, it starts in the home. Uh, as we grow as children, we learn from our parents, and what we experience as children makes us who we are as adults. And when an individual grows up in a home where they're constantly walking on eggshells or afraid to come home after school or waiting for the other shoe to drop for a fight to start or one of the father or mother comes home drunk and there's no expectation of what's going to happen and violence is always um, a constant fear, a constant factor, and it's the coping, the coping you mentioned alcohol. That seems to be a part of most of the scenarios. Um, do you address that fully in the book? I do. I, I believe that alcohol for individuals that are in pain themselves use it to deaden what that is that they're feeling. And in the case of Marianne's father, he was a World War II veteran and came back just a tormented soul. And when men came back from the Second World War, as is much of the case today, they're not offered the kind of help, psychological help, to deal with the kind of horrors of war that they dealt with. So Marianne's father drank to deaden his own experience of reliving what he had had in his war experience. And as a result, had no boundaries. Would come into the home drunk, abuse Marianne and her mother, and then eventually pass out, and the cycle would start over and over again. The the way you describe that, I understand fully. Uh, do you think, as a society, though, that we take that as an excuse for this activity? In other words, the we're not treating these men with all the experiences that they've had, the uh, the shell shock that they come back with, and so we're allowing for this activity, for this getting drunk and taking it out on other people. Is society really complacent in that area? I think uh, alcohol awareness is becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, individual, It's not the stigma that it used to be. People are going to AA now and reaching out. Family members are understanding that alcohol is what the behavioral changes that take place when someone starts to drink and mm-hmm. their senses are deadened and their awareness of their own surroundings and the people that they love are altered. There's just a lot of drug abuse now. Um, my heart goes out to the returning Afghan and Iraqi vets with um, the PTSD that they're experiencing 
and hopefully the, our government is getting a better handle on helping them. But alcohol is, it's on every corner. It's, you know, we see wonderful ads on television all the time. Oh, yes. And so it's so prevalent in our society. And, it, and um, it's, it's when it starts to move into the place where people are harmed that a lot of times we turn our back on them. But I think um, with more awareness and more willingness of the person, the abuser themselves, wanting to change. But it's also the people that are the victims of the abuse that need to make a conscious effort to create a change in their own lives That's as quite adults. Do you see the women who get stuck in these relationships feeling that they're somehow responsible? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Part of the uh, psychological makeup that happens to an individual growing up in an alcoholic home is codependency, a lot of anxiety. Um, They themselves could abuse drugs or alcohol just to cope. And in codependency, what happens is an individual put him or herself into a situation with a partner where they will take care of every possible need that the partner needs and and ignore what they need. So they'll put themselves in situations and take care of unemployed husbands, um, make sure that there's food in the refrigerator, that the children are cared for, and they will take care of every need for the abuser, which is kind of ironic. And then when the abuser starts to turn on the caretaker, they believe that they deserve it because they've done something wrong. They haven't quite stepped up to the plate and did exactly what he or she wanted. And so they they feel that they deserve it, which is unfortunate. It's It gets into the psyche, and, and it really affects a person's self-worth. Yes, self-worth is a, a huge issue for individuals that are living with alcoholics or drug abusers because they don't feel that they are really worthy of a relationship that will help feed them and help them grow as an individual. And they don't really have a sense of themselves because they've grown up in a home where they were denied their own identity by an abusive parent. So they grow up always feeling that they should be beaten or they've done something wrong. Uh, For myself, with my alcoholic father, he would binge drink for four or five months and then he would be sober for a few months and then he he actually taught me to fish and hunt and then we had this wonderful time together and then he would start drinking again I was sure that I had done something to put him into that space where he was going to drink and start to abuse me so the guilt is enormous well let's go ahead and, and step ahead a little bit here I was going to ask you is this book bio, bio, autobiographical in it, any way? It is okay. I um, it I really, at, a, at the age of 40, made a decision at that point that I needed to do something serious to get free myself of allowing myself to be in abusive relationships. So I journaled a lot um, and really didn't get super clear till I was about 45, 46 years old. But I uh, worked with a counselor, and we got to the bottom of a lot of things. And then I did decide to do walk with what is called the Red Road, the American, Native American way of healing. So I um, participated in the rituals of a sweat lodge and vision quest. But it, it took a very deep, dark place for me to hit. And I feel like codependency and allowing individuals allowing themselves to be in abusive relationships, you do need to hit bottom. You have to finally say, I can't do this anymore. And you'll take the necessary steps to allow yourself to get out of the current situation. 
You mentioned uh, the percentages of this type of abuse that are going on and the military. Do you have, and this is unfair in a way, but off the top of your head, do you know how much of that is really the returning military? Where I'm going with the question is today, it used to be that the guys would go and they would serve their time and they would go overseas for a deployment and then come back, and that's bad enough. But today we're seeing families that are faced with four and five deployments yes. over into situations, and they may be being sent over there already with PTSD. Yes, it's it's uh, it's just not fair what's happening to these men when they come home. And it's my understanding that these particular veterans are suffering neurological problems as well because of the um, IEDs and it's it's the thing that I just makes me so sad is they're being reintroduced into society and just trying to cope with things like driving, being at home loud noises uh, being hyper vigilant, not quite sure what's happening. I don't know the statistics uh, now, but I do know that um, unfortunately, abuse doesn't. It crosses all lines: social, economical, ec- you know, economics. It doesn't really matter. And actually, three million men a year are abused by women. Oh, it works both ways. It yes. does indeed. Um, those that are on the receiving end. Uh, why would they feel like it's their fault? What I, I mean, you know, you mentioned a little bit about that, but that's the thing that those of us who are removed from it, fortunately, have a hard time understanding. How can you be on the receiving end of abuse and yet feel that you're responsible for it? When, when you grow up in a home and your fabric is woven by your experiences with your parents, and so you're an integral part of how indi- the parents interact. And if you are a child and you're beaten by your father, and there's there's so many stories about children that are horribly abused by their mother and taken away from the mother but still call for their mom. They want to go back. So I think even though the children are horribly abused by parents, we still feel this integral bond that we want to continue. And then it's just trying to cope. It's very deep and uh it's uh, it's deep because it's our parents and it's you know an integral part of who we are indeed folks we're here this morning with erica jansen she brings us her novel no ordinary fire it is as she's been describing somewhat autobiographical but it is a novel and it's something that folks who are in these situations certainly would want to read and the rest of us really need to we're going to be back with erica after a few short messages When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Buzz off with Lawyer Liz. Join me each week, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, as we talk drones, Internet of Things, and technology. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. 
The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to the Prologue on America's Web Radio. My name is Doug Dahlgren. We have with us this morning in studio Erica Jansen. She brings us her book. Uh, it's a novel, and yet it is an important novel. It's called No Ordinary Fire, and the subject matter is abuse, domestic abuse. Um, Erica, we were talking about the way people who are stuck in this stay in that cycle sometimes, how they become codependent, how they feel that it is really their problem, that they somehow managed to do something that brought this on. Children that are around these types of things, uh, it's like raising a future codependent person. Uh, They develop in that atmosphere certain skill sets to survive. You want to talk about that for a little bit? I can. Um, My own experience was my mother uh, was the facilitator for my father's alcoholic lifestyle. And I grew up watching my mother call my father off work, lying for him. Um, Oftentimes there would be situations where the neighbors would hear them fighting and screaming and that she would say, no, no, it wasn't us, it was the house, uh, the next house over. So I grew up lying, and I thought that it was normal behavior. And so it wasn't until I was about 17 that I decided that the truth was just as good as the lie. (laughs) And it was a conscious effort. It really was an effort for me to not make up a story or exaggerate the truth or tell a story just for attention. So lying is certainly part of it. And the actual event of lying, but also the victim starts to lie to themselves that this is really okay that I do deserve this and the other uh, we talk about codependency and there's so many layers of codependency it's this need to caretake someone that's abusing them the need to make a home or try or try to change someone that's another big thing you go into a, a relationship with an abuse, abusive person perhaps the abuser doesn't allow them to know that they are until they get They've either moved in together or they're engaged and they're married. And at that point, when they feel that they own the victim, they can start to perpetrate the violence or the mental or emotional abuse. And then then at that point, the victim thinks, oh, well, I deserve this, or I attracted this to myself. This is really all I deserve, and so I'm going to make the best of it. And um, so the codependency is a self-worth issue. There's lying involved. There's this need to overcompensate for someone's behavior. And then I I remember having a meltdown once thinking, this individual that I'm caring for doesn't care what I do or what I think or what I'm feeling. And then the other part of that puzzle is an individual really doesn't know what they're feeling. So you get to the basic things of, am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I angry? Because you're not allowed to own your emotions. So you stuff them. And in stuffing them, you don't recognize them. And then at some point, the frustration becomes overwhelming. And then either the abuser or... And oftentimes the victim will just explode and there'll be an event. 
we're kind of talking in technical terms here about what you've been through and what you describe in your book. But I want to remind everybody, this is not a technical uh, lesson book or anything like that that folks will get bored with and put down. <laughs> this is a novel. And uh, these circumstances cross, as you said earlier, all socioeconomic lines. There's people that we may be obvious to that we know that they're in this. There may be people that we don't know. But this book is something told as a story with a protagonist, a heroine, that we can follow. And uh, it just really allows these, these lessons that you're teaching to come through in a story form. I wanted to ask you, you, you chose to write this book in first person. Now that, was that a conscious decision or is that just the way it happened? Because that's powerful. It is. And as, as the, uh, this is my first novel, I had learned so much in this experience. And I remember reading uh, advice, an advice book for writers, and one quote was, Own your eyes. I am this. I have had this experience. I know that this is true. So I tried to really own that word I and embrace it and move forward in the story. It was really, it took me three years to write this book. And it was very important for me to tell the story. And one, one instance I remember, I felt that I had really gotten clear and was healthy and living a wonderful life with a lot of love and a lot of sharing with my current husband. And then I would, no, and then I would observe young people uh, in fighting and cussing. And I, I saw one man slap a girl in the parking lot, and I went to approach him, and they sort of ran away before I could get to them. But I, I realized then that it's still happening, and it's very prevalent. And so at that point, I decided that it was time for me to tell the story and hopefully reach out to the women that are doing this, engaging their lives in an abusive situation. This is how you can get clear. These are the things that you need to look at. It, it's a touchy situation. You, you said something that triggered a thought. I have family that are involved with police work ah. in, in uh, different states here in the South. Drugs have kind of crept up to that now because drugs can be a call that you don't know what you're walking into. But a, divest, a domestic violence call to this day is one of the most dangerous situations Indeed. that an officer can walk into because of that. Uh, you just described it. You said somebody slapped a girl, and when you went up there, they both ran because right. they both wanted to continue with it. And that's the thing that's hard for society to understand. Um, having some experience in that area like that, were, did you ever experience doing that yourself? Did you defend an abuser when you could have stood up? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um the first scene in the book is, is truly autobiographical where um, Marianne just loses and starts to push against her husband, Tom, and he punches the wall instead of punching her, and then she ran upstairs and threatened him. Actually, he was the one that called the police. And um, I, I think that at that point, Marianne had finally reached the point where she just couldn't do it anymore and something had to be done. But in my own regard, I'm trying... No, I, I don't believe that I would actually come to their defense, but I would lie for them. I would yeah. make stories. Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, I didn't really... He didn't really crunch my hand or bruise it. I you know, hit it up against the wall. So 
oftentimes victims will lie about black eyes or bruises and you know most people get it they know what's going on well mary ann struck back that's good yes. that's a good thing um yes. but what i guess what i was asking is is when the police come in and they try to arrest the perpetrator usually the husband and then they're attacked oh by the, by the, by yes, the woman. yes and that's that's not attacking him that's attacking the authorities that are trying to protect her and that's something that that you know i have trouble understanding and uh, do you have any insights on why that happens? Uh, I think it goes back to having an abusive parent. And if the child that was horribly abused by their mother that goes calls for mommy, mommy, and goes back. So if the wife is being abused and that's her husband and that's her home, it's her kingdom. And if someone is coming into their boundaries, into their space, trying to separate them, I'm sure that there's it's maybe just a adrenaline, mm-hmm. just a, a huge response to oh no 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 this can't happen, it's it's okay it's okay. Oftentimes the woman will leave the home, um, go to a battered women's shelter, but because there's nowhere for her to go, she will eventually go back back home to the abusive husband and then it's cyclical the honeymoon starts she'll go back into an abusive situation he'll say he's sorry things will calm down and oftentimes i did this myself well if the road is not rocky then i will i would set up situations and start a conflict so we could fight because i wasn't comfortable with the silence i wasn't comfortable didn't know how to handle it with the normality yeah Yeah. i was like i need we need to fight we haven't had a fight for two weeks this has to happen oh my goodness yes it's not not healthy now i'm sure that uh you've been around support groups yes okay um and and other victims where you talk about what went on do do any of those people enter into the character of marianne or any of the other characters that are in the book uh how, how did the meeting these other folks, is it all the same personality or are there variations that you apply here? Wow, that's a great question. Um, when, I, when I started to get clearer and healthier, um, I made the decision to do a sweat lodge. And um, at that particular ritual, I met two other women that had um, left left abusive husbands and we shared a lot of our own story and that particular experience that we shared was a bond that we still talk today we still communicate because there was a special bond with the amount of sharing that we did and we could say oh my god I'm not crazy this actually happened to another person in a very very similar situation and then we told our story about how we got out of the house and what steps we took and who were who were our helpers who were our support groups at that point oftentimes it's a friend or a cousin or a family out of town a lot of times the individual needs to remove themselves geographically from where it's happening okay no ordinary fire is the novel that's what we're talking about now this is obviously mature subject matter what would you say the age group is for your target audience and and are there people that you would say really aren't mature enough to read this um i i think it's more geared towards women although i have had responses from men that have read it and one gentleman told me it was a pretty wild ride and then his wife read it and had given it to him to read so i took that as a compliment (laughs) and um uh, what was the question? What did you ask me? <laughs> well, 
I was just curious I about apologize. the age. Oh, thank you. You know, That's there, right. there's definitely an age group that I think we want to steer away thank you. at this group. Uh, 25, I think a woman reaches a certain level of maturity in her 20s, mid to late 20s. So 20 to 70. I know I've been hearing from women that are in 60s and 70 years old that can are calling or well, they're emailing me and oftentimes we would have a telephone conversation. This happened to me, and they would—they just had this need to tell their story, and I'm hoping that this book will provide a platform for women to talk to each other. And if someone is being abused, will have the strength to say, "This Marianne did it. I can do it. And if I don't do it like she did it, I can still have it." Okay, so you're saying 25, not even 18 to 25, but 25 and above. Yeah, I think at 18 you're still dealing. Folks, we're talking about the novel. No Ordinary Fire. We're here with the author, Erica Jansen, and we're on the prologue on America's Web Radio. We're going to be back with more from Erica after these messages. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back. This is the prologue on America's Web Radio. We're here this morning with Erica Jansen. We're talking about her novel, and this is a novel, No Ordinary Fire. Erica, let's remind the folks, if they've got that pen, I'm going to give them a second here to pick that pencil or pen back up, because Erica's going to tell you where you can find out more information or order your book. Oh, thank you, Doug. It's Erica, E-R-I-K-A, Jansen, J-A-N-T-Z-E-N.com. And the book is available as a paperback on Amazon.com, and it's also Kindle Download. 
outstanding. I think I may have go back to your earlier notes now because I may have spelled it with a C, and it is oh, Erica no, no. Erica with a K. <laughs> now. Uh, again, this is not some lecture or a technical book about the situation. It is a novel, and that's a great approach to this thing because it allows the person to read and, and associate themselves where they wish. Now, what motivated you to write this story? I think for me personally, it was a cathartic exercise of just and uh, almost uh, a reassurance that yes this indeed did happen to me and these, these are the, the um, events that took place uh, a lot of this is fictionalized uh, it, um, it, the abuse was real um, a lot of it got you know turned up a crank, cranked it up a little bit pushed the envelope there was some in the scenes but it was important for me to put down my story, to realize my story. And then as I found out that people were interested and then I self-published and then moved forward with marketing the book, um, I, I think, too, I just was important for me to reach out to other women. And this is one way that I could, not being a counselor or a psychologist myself, but being able to fictionalize a story tell a story where women can relate to it and make their own decisions about their next step. And interestingly, I've had people come up that haven't seen me for years will tell me that I've got a kind of a look, a peaceful look, now that the book is out. Oh. And that, that was very... So they've seen a change in you personally. Yes. Excellent. Kind of like Moses coming down from the Mount, you know, Charlton Heston. <laughs> Got that glow now. (laughs) Well, that's not bad. Yeah. Uh, What kind of feedback from the book are you hearing? Are readers contacting you and and telling you uh, how they feel or how it changed their life? They are, and it's been amazing to me. I did not realize that people, these many women, would take the time to email me, and then then we would start a dialogue. It was so life affirming for me to know that women were be able to were able to relate to this and then to hear their stories about how they made a decision to end the abusive relationship and then another individual would come into their lives that was healthy and that they're now living a calm life and their whole trajectory of their life has changed because someone that cares about them truly cares about them now and they know that they can tell their truth or in, or in fact, in the past, they could not. Okay. Now, you describe it as cyclical. It is a cycle. Yes. That, that seems to just repeat itself no matter what the person thinks they're trying to do. Yes. Okay. Now, obviously, you've broken out of that cycle. And you've got a great husband and a home that's not too far from Atlanta. You've written this book to help others. And I understand that a percentage of the profits from this book actually go to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. First of all, that's wonderful. That's tremendous. We admire you for that. Beyond the financial help, there are certain issues that you want to bring attention to. There are things that, though this is a novel, uh, you do want to bring attention to certain things. Issues that, uh, you know, maybe get caught up in the cycle, Okay, We may not see ourselves in a repetitive, negative behavior situation, but but they are. People can be that way. Explain a little bit more about that so folks listening today can understand what is a repetitive, negative behavior. Ah, okay. Um, if, if you are in that particular mindset that you don't have a good sense of self-worth and you... Uh, 
and you can identify with abuse and you find that abuse is normal for you. And um, th- help me again, Doug, what did you ask? Well, the repetitive nature. Oh, of the repetitive, it. thank yeah. you. Um, just that until you make that decision that this has to end, you'll continually put yourself back into situations. Oftentimes the abuser themselves will say, I don't want to do this anymore, or this particular person isn't attractive to me anymore, or the alcohol or drugs may take them down another road and they don't want their current partner to come with them. Then the woman is abandoned. And she feels that sense of abandonment, and then will seek out another person that fills that same order, you know, someone that needs to be taken care of, that doesn't work, that needs to be supported, so that they feel their own self-worth by caring for another individual that's not being reciprocated. The, the, the couple is in a bad... Uh, there's no equality, and so the woman who is being abused, moves forward to keep, keep the things going because that's, that's what she knows. That's what, that's what she thinks she's supposed to do. Yes, right. yes. You, you describe it as an addiction. Is, is that? I do. I do because it's true. You become, um, you, become a, you, you look for the fights. You look for the drama. That's, you know, you're drama-driven because that's what makes you feel alive because you don't know that, you know, a great walk in the woods where you're, you're not calm enough to appreciate nature or animals or the love of another person. So you're searching for, you just want to always push that envelope. You want to, you know, turn it up a notch. You want to, that's how you feel. You feel the drama and the intensity of the emotion. So the, the nice, what we would consider normal, their normal is drama. Their normal is the violence. That's, that's what they come to expect. And if it's not there, they'll make it happen. That's very interesting because we never think of it in those terms. That's that's the alcoholism. <coughs> Excuse me, got a tickle there. I beg uh, pardon to all the listeners out there. But what you're describing is the the drug addict, the alcoholic. But it's the victim who is feeling these pains and needing that fix. Yes. And so you're saying that they actually go out and pick a fight. Yes. You've alluded to that several times. But... Uh, how do you get out of that? How, how do you get away from needing that emotional high that comes from physical violence? It, it, you have to hit bottom. I, I had said this before. And you've got to get to the point where you feel like you're going to die. And when oftentimes an alcoholic will hit bottom when they've lost everything, lost their home, they're on the street, and then they can go for help. Or there's some kind of facilitation that takes place where they'll take you out of the situation and put you in to counseling or into a group home. But it's it's a choice, and it's the walking away doesn't mean that you flip immediately. Um, for me, when I finally ended that last relationship and was able to um, depend on friends to help me give me a place to stay so I could get back on my feet, I would still slip into um, some promiscuity, um, lying, putting myself in situations that could be dangerous. Um, it, it, it's, not, it's not a quick fix. It's was that hoping to be caught? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that's part of it. I think you put yourself in situations where the thrill of getting caught is there, absolutely, because it's it's still pushing the whole drama, the idea of it's it's 
it's just going to be extreme. You know, it's going to be extreme. The, the book itself explores learning to trust and identify your own true feelings. There's things as simple to, to many of us as just being tired, being hungry, uh, even the anger uh, that, that folks experience. Tell us, why would someone have a problem with these basic feelings? Because you just, an individual just doesn't know uh, the coping, the survival skills, the coping, the day-to-day life is always sort of tainted with what might happen next. The other shoe's going to drop, the walking on eggshells, the, the constant vigilance of if I say the wrong thing or if I, you know, uh, I'm going to say what I think you need to hear. Because if I do that, I'm safe. So you're identifying with what the other person wants or you sense it. Uh, codependent people are very intuitive because they're chameleons. They'll walk into a situation and say, mm, this doesn't feel right. What can I do to make it better? Instead of saying, I'm going to be responsible for how I show up, the other individual is going to show up, and I make a choice at that time. Do I interact? Do I step away? Do I challenge? Do I just go about my business but that's when you're when you're when you're feeling normalcy but when you when you've grown up in a situation where you're always trying to fix the other person or help the other person you you aren't don't have your own compass you're always working off somebody else's energy so what you're saying really is that the victims have to learn to tell themselves the truth yes yes and then and then trust it and, and work off of that yes Okay. Absolutely. Almost political correctness in, in a different vein, but very similar to what, what the whole society's into. Wow. Yeah, that's a great <clears> analogy. Anyway, that's another day, another subject. <laughs> um, how long did it take you to write No Ordinary Fire? Three years. The mm. outline started, and um, uh, I was going up to cabins in North Carolina for some solace and the winter set in and I realized I couldn't go back they shut the cabins down so my husband in his infinite wisdom bought a little storage unit that looks like a cabin we ran electricity out to it so I was able to I had a refuge a quiet place and um, the book started started to take life and move forward and it was a process mm. you're self-published yes now, that's the fastest-growing segment of publishing today. It really, really is. Who do you use for editing and proofreading, or do you go through that step? I did. I was so blessed to have a woman in my life in Commerce, Georgia, that would take 25, 30 pages at a time and would edit for content and grammatical and um, verbiage. And she was able to say, this doesn't feel right, this character isn't working through her guidance, I was able to change a couple characters up. Uh, one was a female that then became a young man instead because his persona fit the situation much more adequately. Um, and then when um, I had finished the manuscript, there's a gentleman in Gainesville that is a creative writer that read for content. And he's the one we decided to cut several scenes. Um, he's the one that encouraged me to, you know, push the envelope, make make things a little more spicy, get it real, get it wild. So and it held the held the reader's interest. So Marianne's story is fictional, but it's very, very important and, and something. Do you plan to continue with more from this character? 
I do. I think that uh, now that she has had these experiences and she's coming through to the other side, that I would like to portray her in the next book as a healer and moving forward in that vein. Well, we like hearing that. You positively said the next book. Are you working on that now? I am not. I'm the marketing queen. That's why I'm here with you. (laughs) All right. Very good. Well, folks, we are here with the marketing queen, Miss Erica Jansen. She's bringing us today the story of her book, No Ordinary Fire. And we're going to be back to wrap this one up and talk some more with her after these short messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we're back on the prologue here at America's Web Radio. My name is Doug Dahlgren. We're proud to have Erica Jansen with us this morning. Uh, Erica, you are a member of the Northeast Georgia Writers Group. And uh, recently, so am I. So we have that in common. Um, Now, this novel, No Ordinary Fire, actually won an award from that group. Please tell us about that. It was uh, 2013, and I was uh, coming pretty close to the end and submitted my first first chapter, first 1500. And um, they... They gave me the award for novel, and I was very pleased. And it it lifted my sense of confidence tremendously to have a group of individuals that I respected that were published authors, fellow fellow published writers. Yes, that's wonderful. What was the What was the name of the award? Just uh, Northeast Georgia Writers Novel of novel the Year. Novel of the Year. Yeah. Tremendous. Very good. Now let's uh, let's talk about you as a human being, as ah. a person, just a little bit here. Now, are you a Georgia born? I am not. I grew up in Ohio and uh, did two years of college there and then um, dropped out. And my mother said, um, you've got to go to work. So 
I um, exercised and groomed racehorses. That's what I understand. Yeah. How exciting was that? It was 40 years and 50 pounds ago. <laughs> but it was a time of my life. I had the best time. There's getting up in the morning and exercising horses and feeling the wind and just and I think part of my thrill seeking was fed too by being around powerful horses so you rode to exercise yes oh my goodness it was quite something so mom didn't like that no I think she was afraid that I was going to fall and break my neck (laughs) so uh, and um she had actually uh, taken me to a massage therapist because I would come home from the barn and I would be pretty wrecked out of shape. And um, so I had the experience of massage. And then massage school opened very near our home, and so I enrolled and became a massage therapist. Okay. How long did you work in that industry? For about 18 years. I, I uh, scooted around the country. I worked in Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, worked different ends of the industry, repped a product taught, um, opened a spa, and worked as an admissions representative for a massage school. So um, I ended up in Atlanta and decided it was time for me to go back and get my undergraduate degree. I got an odd question just came to mind. Is that kind of like being a barber? You know how barbers talk and listen to their customers? (laughs) Did you get a lot of insight for characters for writing by being a massage therapist? Or are they fairly quiet? Well, you know, uh, I journaled all through those years. So I've got some journals that have some pretty interesting stories in there. And people, interesting people, too, that are coming. Well, that's that's what I was going to say. During those years, we're getting a little more lighthearted than what this is all about. But during those years, uh, were you picking up research for this domestic abuse situation while you were living through that time period? I I was still allowing myself to be in abusive relationships, um, individuals that, you know, kept the drama up, and so I journaled. But a lot of times, uh, and I was certainly codependent at that time, is your mind will race and anxiety will take over, and you put yourself in dangerous or, you know, violent situations, and you're just running on adrenaline, you're going, going, going. And I would journal to try to calm down is really what I was trying to do. But the massage therapy opened a lot of doors for me for alternative healing, so I started to understand that I could calm down, that there was another way, but I wasn't ready to take those steps to get healthy. Okay, all right. What attracted you to Atlanta? Oh, it's besides New York City, it's the greatest city in the country. I just, I love the energy. I love the people. I had some friends here. They made it um, easy for me to move here, and um, I just love the city. Vibrant city, great place. Now you continued college down here and studied journalism. Is I that did. Right? I went to Georgia State, uh, right in the heart of Atlanta, and I'm so happy that it, they're growing. At, just exponentially, this college is wonderful now in the university. Okay. Now, what did you do with your journalism degree? Did you write? or I did. I worked in nonprofit uh, for several years. I was at uh, United Hospice in the Gwinnett Battered Women's Shelter. And then um, I found out Chateau and Lawn was hiring, and so I went to work for them, and they put me in a management position. Oh, tremendous. And um, as I continued to work in the spa industry, I stepped away from journalism, but would still continue to write and journal. Are there any other works besides No Ordinary Fire that you have that are published? I do not. There are not. Okay. All right. Um, The character in the book, No Ordinary Fire, Marianne, 
she experiences a shaman and goes through a sweat lodge. Yes. Would you tell us, first of all, is that from personal experience? I am happy to say that I did have the courage to do a sweat lodge. Really? Although it was with a group of women, and it was rather mild. It wasn't... um, I have so much respect for the Native American way. And the woman that I met at that time helped me understand that the sweat lodge ritual is allowing an individual to go and seek, ask, ask questions, excuse me, ask questions, seek for answers. And it's a pretty intense situation. The American Indian warriors would sweat before battle. The elders, if there was a decision that had to be made for the tribe, they would have a sweat. The warriors would, um, and they, it was called an eagle sweat, where it was super intense and to the part to the point of hallucinating but these were pretty mild um and and again it was an incredible bonding experience vision quest is talked about in the book what is a vision is this like the australians call a walkabout (laughs) is that is that it's very similar okay Uh, sort of yeah um american indians would allow their 13-year-olds to take a knife and a blanket and go into the wilderness. And what they were expected to do at that time as an adolescent, and it's kind of, I guess, like confirmation for Christians, bar mitzvahs. Each religion has a, a ritual for adolescent 13 seems to be the point where they're allowed to seek what, what their name is. In the vision quest, you ask for a vision. You cry for a vision. You say, help me. In my situation, it was, help me deal with my demons. Let me get to the absolute bottom of this. Where is this coming from? What can I do with what I'm shown? And you also ask for the gift of a name. When you're out there and you're going through this transformational page, transformation, a name will be given to you. You'll know and consciously, subconsciously, mm-hmm. it'll be given to you through nature. Now, you did a lot of research into Native American ceremonies, yes. languages, customs. Was that strictly for the book, or did you have a personal desire to learn more about that? The shaman that worked with me to help me really grow spiritually taught me to drum, and we also did meditations. And what that allowed me to do was to open up a side of me that I had never known before, the spirit side, the side that is ready to embrace nature, that's ready to ready to embrace the, the surreal, if you will, the spirit world, can present so much to us. Um, and Christians, um, prayer, meditation, oftentimes are shown things through prayer. I, I, every religion, every God, every, every one of us has their God who they pray to, who gives them strength. And the Native American way is nature, is Mother Earth, Father Sky. Do you still beat the drum? I do. <laughs> I have a drum in my office. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, it sticks with you. It works. And again, we're proud that, uh, that we can say that you have come through this cycle. And we're we're very proud that you've written this book. And again, I want to mention, tell us where the uh, percentage of the profits from this book go. Fifteen percent of all the profits. Wow. That, yeah, fifteen is a good tithe number, I think, to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. They're a wonderful organization, doing great work. 
and we all need to learn more about it. It's it's one of those things that we come as a society, uh, we've really learned to ignore it. It's around us. It's there. Sometimes it's not as obvious as others, but we tend to ignore it. Mind our own business, as we say. Uh, but it's it's bad. It's bad for the culture. It's bad for the kids. And I appreciate the book. Uh, it's a novel. Again, it's not preachy. You're following the story of Marianne, the heroine in here. Title is No Ordinary Fire. The author is Erica Jansen. And uh, is there anything that we have not covered that you really need to bring out as we wind up this hour. I just want to encourage each and every one of us to dig deep and know our truth and live a life with compassion and love for our fellow human beings. We've got a lot of healing to do on this planet and ourselves as a society. And it starts with you. It starts with your relationships, your friends. Very good. How about anybody you got out there you'd like to say hi to while we're on? Oh, my goodness. My friend Susan Harper in Commerce, who was my mainstead, my helper, my guider, my guidance. My husband, Donnie, of course. And all my friends in Commerce and in the Commerce Public Library. Outstanding. (laughs) Listen, Erica, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you here and to learn more about your book. I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the prologue this morning. Oh, thank you, Doug. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you'll come back when that new book's ready. I will, indeed. All right. right. (laughs) Now, listeners, the ball is in your court. We want you to look up Erica, and that's Erica with a K, Jansen, on Amazon and her website, and get your copy of No Ordinary Fire. Please tell your friends about the show, would you? Tell them how they can hear the free podcasts by clicking on the link at americaswebradio.com. Now, if you or your guest would like to be a you or your friend would like to be a guest on the prologue, just remember, reach out to me through email, Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDahlgren.com. That's it for this hour. Again, I want to thank my guest, Erica Jansen. So for now, this is Doug Dahlgren. For Erica and myself, I say be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book. If it's not Erica's, maybe one of mine. And I'll see you all again in 167 hours. Take care now. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.